What's up, Bike Rumor fans? We're back for part two of three of our interviews with Van Duet about custom vans, in their case, Ford Transits. So today we're going to be talking about electrical. And the last episode, if you missed it, it was all about like just the general questions we all have when we're first starting to figure out anything about getting a custom van. You know, like what size van, whether we want four wheel drive and all that. So check that one out for the, kind of the basic questions. And then if you want to get into the weeds on electrical, and we're going to talk about solar panels, the different types of batteries, how many batteries, inverters and generators and everything else that uh, you might want to know about setting up a good electrical system in your custom van. This is it. And with me today is... Jared McCausland, uh, co-founder of uh, Van Do It, and also known as the Mad Scientist. Because you get to concoct the ideas that go into these vans. I get to have fun every day to basically play with these vans. It's pretty awesome. All right, so let's jump in. Um, you know, I think solar is one that everybody's kind of curious about. So let's start there and then we'll back up a little bit to some of the systems that need to be in place in the van. So solar needs, like how big of a panel do you need? How many panels do you need? Like what's going on with solar right now? Well, let's, let's take a step with solar. Um, a lot of times when people start to talk about power systems, they, they, they do start with solar. And so I guess to, to clear the air, um, you know, solar, when people talk about, you know, running air conditioners off solar, you know, running big appliances off solar, you know, that that's necessarily not the case directly. Um, you know, solar, the way I look at solar is it is a great resource to help maintain your vehicle's power supply. Uh, what I mean by that is, is a vehicle, you know, or, or anything in general, like motorcycles, four wheelers, whatever it is, you know, typically buy battery tenders. You know, because that helps keep that battery fresh and fully charged. And solar panels really are that same thing at a much more aggressive level. So they help add to the charging capacities of a battery system. But, you know, and in, in, in working through, like, if, if a customer needs solar, if they don't need solar, starts to boil down to what they use the van for, where they're traveling, where they're going to be using the van, how they're going to be using the van, and then you start to figure out, you know, is a customer's use of power so much to where solar just doesn't even help? Um, or, you know, a person's use of power is so minimal where solar gives them everything they need and even some more. And so when it comes to how many panels, how much solar a person needs, um, you know, if you think about it, um, we put roughly, it's, it's 300 and... Uh, 80 watts of solar on a standard van do it install on the top of a van what I'll tell you is is that that's enough power during the peak hours of the day to where uh, it will run the TV the head unit all this stereo system at a moderate level um, and the dome lights and that will actually still give just a little bit of charge back to the batteries okay now you you take a step further and you know, let's say you start using those appliances first thing in the morning. You're not getting a full charge. You know, you, you really only get that full power out of your solar for roughly about three and a half to four hours out of the complete day. So if we're talking about running the TV lights, your stereo system at a moderate level for three hours of the day, giving a little bit of charge, um, you know, those features are going to outrun solar over, you know, a period of time. And so 
you know, when I'm having this conversation, because I do the final build approval with every customer, and I go through to making sure, like, if it's something you need, if it's something that I highly recommend, you know, I will tell you on all of our builds, I highly recommend solar. The main reason for it is exactly what I said is is there's a lot of money, you know, when a, with a Van Duet build, majority of the expense goes into the electrical system. Uh, we make sure we use high-end connectors, all that kind of stuff, but you want to protect the power system more than anything, you know, and, and, and misuse of the power system can what causes a lot of problems in most people's systems. And when batteries... You know, if you draw batteries down below their standard state of charge too many times, they start to lose life. And that's exactly what solar helps you keep from doing. It's going to help maintain those batteries, keeping them at a higher charge uh, more often, keep them regulated to where those batteries are going to last you a much longer period of time. And so with the cost of solar, um, you know, we do, like I said, roughly about 400 watts on a standard install. I look at it as it's, a, it's an amazing self-driven battery tender in a sense and it's going to pay off for itself in about year three because you're not having to replace those batteries that are being abused um, and so you know if you're saying hey I want to be able to run my air conditioner off grid solar's not going to help you with that <laughs> I mean you're going to have to put an outrageous amount of solar panels like briefcase style out on the ground for that to work um, you know if you're saying hey I want my I want it to be able to maintain my batteries give me enough charge while I'm not using the van during the day because I'm out hiking and doing things like that to where I can use TV and lighting through the night, well, then that's perfect. You know, because while you're away from the vehicle, it's trickle charging everything back up for you to where you have a full another night of using of small, you know, appliances. Right. And, you know, like S-bar heat, things like that that run off DC power, it, it, it increases, like... I gotta tell you, the battery bank is on its own with no charging. It's gonna last a standard customer um, with moderate use throughout the vehicle about three days uh, of just you know, you know, minor you know, light use, minor things like that. Charging your phone or something like that. Exactly. Um, you know, running the air vents, not the AC, but air vents. Um, your solar, if you're moderately using the vehicle, it's going to triple that. And if, in some cases, if you have full sunlight, it's actually going to outrun your use, and you can basically stay off-grid full-time. Generally speaking, from my experience with most of our customers and how they utilize the vans, that's really not the case because they're using like you know, a small coffee pot, so they're going to plug that in and pull that off the 110 power. You know, They're going to do some different things that pull a little higher wattage that's going to deplete that battery to where solar can't get you back to that point. Um, but I would say majority of the time, it's going to be able to at least take you from three days to maybe five days of use to where you really just don't have to ever worry about it. Um, and so, you know, solar, solar is a very interesting thing. That's kind of the first thing I always feel like customers always bring up. Um, <laughs> That's what I brought up. First exactly. <laughs> and so it's, it's just a matter of understanding that solar technology is just continually gets better all the time. Um, but with that, you know, becomes, you know, you, then you start to dive in and I think you got some questions, but you know, it starts to get into different types of batteries. You run a different type of battery, the solar charge is more powerful. 
um, it all starts to link together throughout electrical system. All right. Yeah, we're going to get to the different kinds of batteries. So let's say <laughs> that. So, but like we're sitting in one of your vans doing this interview, and mm -hmm. I'm looking at a bank of three auxiliary batteries. So that's mm -hmm. not counting the battery under the hood. Mm -hmm. um, how long would it take solar to recharge those fully? If those are depleted down to like what you would consider zero state of charge um, with a battery, which means it's below 12 volts, for it to get full back to a true stable voltage, which is with most batteries is 12.6 volts, um, it's going to take about two full days of sunlight, of raw, pure sunlight. Like you'd need like eight hours a day of, of full sunlight, or you're talking about that three hour window, I'm like two about days that. of three hour window. There you go. Okay. Yep. Yep. If, if you, you know, if you were, if you're somewhere closest to like the equator, um, you know, if you were down in Texas, let's say, um, you could probably get a full state of charge out of one day of battery use. The further north you go, the worse your state of charge is going to be off solar because solar is just less powerful in the north. Okay. So it's kind of like, and ultimately, in most cases, I would imagine, I know with you guys is are, but we're talking about like DIYers too. Like, generally speaking, you're going to have your battery bank working off like recharging off the alternator mm -hmm. the vehicle's alternator as well right that's correct. so the solar is just kind of like a safety net because ultimately is that helping to charge is solar helping to charge the vehicle's battery too like it, so that you won't end up where you can't start your car yes so that that's that's a that's a feature in our electrical system that um, isn't proprietary to us but it's something that we've integrated into ours which it's got an automatic relay so when the vehicle turns on the vehicle battery has to get to a certain voltage voltage point. So in some systems, when you turn the key over, it instantly connects the two battery banks. That's not what our system does. It waits until it says, hey, everything in the vehicle is running properly, voltage is at a high level, now, it'll, now we can connect the two together. Um, what's interesting about that is, what's, and what's really cool about it too, is it actually won't disconnect until the car battery is to a certain voltage level down. Hmm. So for about the first like 10% of battery use, you actually get to utilize some of that charge off the car battery as well. So um, in regards to the solar, it works the other way to where if solar is charging our battery bank system and it gets it to a full state of charge, it will actually connect the two back together at that point. And now solar is also charging your car battery up nice. as well. And that's where I would say for for probably 90% of all the van buyers um, who, who have bought our vehicles, you know, even the even the people who are using them as daily drivers, um, you know, when you let them sit, you know, a lot of people like to leave things on like, um, so for instance, like we have like hot water that's electric. For it to actually fully heat up the electric um, hot water and the reserve tank, you need shore power or you need the vehicle running but for it to maintain a level of heat you know solar can actually do that because of depending on outside you know environment you know if it's right. zero degrees outside <laughs> it's going to take more than solar but if you have like like the Dometic fridge I'm sitting on you know you can leave this on full time leave your inverter on if you have solar never worry about turning it off just park your vehicle as long as your solar panels have access to sunlight I mean, you let sit, and I check on it, you know, every four or five days in your driveway. But you could leave this fridge <laughs> full of stuff for your next trip. Nice. And that's the kind of creature comfort stuff we talk about. 
you know, those are the things that start to add up to really start adding value to actually utilizing solar to where you just don't, there, there are like CO2 monitors in the van. They use power and they never shut off. When you turn the vehicle off, park it, turn all the switches off, CO2 is still running. Right. It's still pulling a small amount of power. And you do kind of need that battery tender if you're not driving it every day. And solar is the easiest battery tender you got. Cool. And then, so what is that, that 380, 400 watt mm -hmm. system that you install? Like, what does that cost? Uh, the, the cost of the system, so solar is actually included in our preferred package build. Uh, to remove it, you can save about $1,000 to $1,200. Okay. Um, with that, you're removing some of the technologies actually to manage the battery system. Um, so it's not just a couple panels. You're removing, removing the hardware, you're removing the wiring, you're removing a lot of other aspects of the solar system. Um, but, you know, you, you have the capability of, um, you know, saving about 1000 if you remove it from the vehicle. You know, you can go to Regency, you can go to some brands that we've tested, we've prototyped before in the past. You know, you can get a complete electric uh, solar system for your van for, you know, three $400. Um, you know, it gives you enough to kind of be that battery tender. But the one thing that I've definitely learned is with, with solar, it's all about the technology side of it. It's all about that controller. Right. You know, if it's a 30 amp controller, it's actually the technology behind it. You know, and there's, there's different solar panels as well. You know, the different filaments that are inside them. Um, and you start to just, you start to almost chase pennies with dollars is kind of like how I like to say it. But at the same time too, if your electrical system can't handle it or it makes sense for your electrical system, the really high-end stuff doesn't make sense, but also the really low-end might not make sense either. Right. And so... Yeah, so I think where people are going to start getting confused, because I know I do, and maybe this would be a good laying some groundwork with these numbers to lead into all of the other stuff we're going to talk about is, okay, you've got basically a 12-volt DC system that's connected through your circuitry to power 110... AC, you've got a 380 watt solar panel system mm -hmm. with I think like a 300 amp or amp hour battery system. So we're talking about like volts, watts, wattage, amps, amp hours. Like, how do all these numbers play together? And what's when somebody's just trying to wrap their head around it? Like, how do you explain it? And what do they really need to know? <laughs> okay, so it's 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 not a um, it, it is very confusing for, for me to, sometimes I have to go back and read it cause it, you know, when you, when you get in the middle of something, it, it gets pretty wild. But, um, what you have to break it back down to is, is the main thing is, is understanding what you're trying to power, you know, 10 amps of 12 volt power, completely different than 10 amps of 110 power. And so, and that, that, you know, for a DIYer, what becomes really a massive caveat to that is um, wire requirements. You know, uh, um, you know, for instance, to be able to run um, 100 amps of DC power through a cable, you know, it's got to be bigger diameter than your thumb. You know, to run 100 amps of, you know, let's say AC power, it can be, you know, the size of a pen. You know, it's just, that really is what you just got to be careful with is what are we talking about? So like your head unit and your vehicle, your car batteries, 
um, uh, your phones, um, you know, anything that can plug into a cigarette outlet is going to be 12 volt powered. Um, anything that goes into like your like your house, like your wall of your house. Now, a, a, another way to kind of explain it is is that little um, adapter that takes the USB plug. So the USB plug itself is 12 volts. The adapter is taking it from 12 volts to 110, so you can charge your phone, you know, in your kitchen outlet. Um, the main thing is is bring it back to what am I trying to power, and then where can I step up from there? So um, your vehicle, for instance, so your alternator, your alternator is going to run off 12 volts, and it's going to produce amperage. Um, and then you know, and then the the battery system is going to be rated two ways. It's going to be rated off watt hours, um, or it's going to be rated off amp hours. Um, and so to, um, I mean, to kind of break down a little bit of of the numbers, I guess you could say, um, to know how many watts you need or how many watts you're producing, it's voltage times. Uh, amps. So you take your voltage, multiply it by your amps, and you get your watts. So give me a practical use for that information. So, um, well, let's let's let's. Uh, it's probably easier to give it in a different way. So we've got a three hundred amp hour battery bank. Okay. Um, we'll call it three hundred amps. It's actually n- not a true 300 amps. It's a true 260 because of what, how much of that power is actually usable. So that's kind of that first little caveat to the system. Okay. When you start trying to figure out, like if you're, if maybe what we're trying to get to is like saying, hey, if I take this appliance, I run it for this long, can I do the math? And it'll tell me how long it'll run. There's caveats in that that makes it very confusing. Okay. So this battery bank by label and by all definitions, it's 300 amp hours. There's only 260 hours worth of usable amperage in those batteries okay. um, because of the type of battery they are. So that's where we can go to batteries later. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, that's where you start. <laughs> but that to, was, this is one of my questions was yeah. like, okay, like what can I plug into this? And it right. sounds like that's where we're headed. So Yeah, so, it's, it's, so let's, take, um, let's, take a, let's take a coffee uh, a, a coffee maker, right? So a coffee maker... Um, is a is a 110 um, power supply. Uh, so that goes through the inverting system, mm-hmm. which will take the 12 volt power and invert it to 110. That inverter has a 2000 watt capability of in taking that power and transferring it, and knows how much power it can give out, which is 2000 watts. Okay. So that that coffee pot. Um, is going to be AC driven and on that coffee bot um, I'm just going to pull out just a quick calculator here just to kind of break it down (laughs) easily for us so we don't get lost in numbers Um, so a normal coffee pot is going to be let's say 1500 watts okay okay so 1500 watts you got to take those 1500 watts and you got to break it down to um, how many amps that is Uh, so well you can break it down to the amps, so that's fifteen hundred divided by one ten, because it's one ten powered. Okay. And that gives and that tells you that it's going to pull thirteen point six amps. 
okay. of AC power. And that kind of tells you like your breakers. So that tells you like how much load can go on your breaker. It's like a normal outlet, it's gonna be 15, you know, 15 amp breaker. Okay. So that's how your breakers figure out how you compare the breakers in an AC system. And it's a little bit the same way in the DC. But you take that, because but the common denominator is watts. So if that's 1500 watts of power pull, so what you can do is 1500 watts, divide it by, you know, say 12.5 voltage. It's kind of like the standard charge of a battery. So at 12.5, you're pulling 120 amps of, of um, pulling 120 amps of uh, DC power. Per what? Per hour? Per second? Or That's just... That is per hour. Okay. So that's all rated per hour. So on that battery bank, you could run that coffee maker for two to two and a half hours. Two and a half hours, right. Okay. Keep in mind, 1,500 watts is about the same amount that our air conditioner pulls. <laughs> so, so you could run the AC for two and a half hours or your coffee maker. Right. Now, depending on how geeky we want to get with this, <laughs> you know, the thing about DC power, which is very different from AC, is as you draw the battery bank down, your state of charge speeds up in a sense. So your loss of power speeds up is, mm -hmm. I guess, what I'm trying to say. So a battery will hold charge at 12.5, and it will produce enough power at 12.5. But as it loses that state of charge, um, the time it takes to get from 12.5 to 12.4 is shorter than the time it takes the battery to go from like 12.1 to 12.0. So as that number drops you're losing the amount of usable power. So as your voltage drops, it takes more amperage because of the dividing effect. It takes more amperage to run that coffee maker. Hmm, okay, we're getting definitely pretty geeky. And so, but that that's a great thing. <laughs> What's the practical use of that information? Like, Well, so that's where you caveat into batteries. Okay. So, um, I, I know you got a couple of questions there. Well, yeah, so let's, well, I want to have like some kind of like usable takeaway from that. So mm -hmm. basically don't buy really high wattage appliances if you want to run them in your car. Correct. Because yep. there's small coffee makers and then there's coffee makers for some reason just draw a lot of power, don't they? They do. Something they do. about the heating element or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's and crazy. They, and, and there's and there's smart ways to do it. So like I have a coffee pot that I take with me when I go on trips. Um, it doesn't have a hot plate. Ah. The, the um, So it only pulls juice when it's actually making the coffee. Okay. And then the coffee pot itself is insulated. So it's going straight into an insulated without a hot plate underneath it. Right. So you're cutting out that need of power. Right. So I think it takes the coffee pot maybe, I think it takes 15 minutes to make a full pot of like six cups. As opposed and to the one I have at home that sits there and warms it for two hours after it Exactly. Okay. So efficiency starts to go really out the right. out the window when you have that hot plate sitting there. Yeah. And so that's a really smart way to do it. Smaller. You don't need a massive oversized one. So well, that's, you, that's debatable. <laughs> well, yeah, true. But, you know, it's uh, so when you, you kind of boil, you boil those factors down to like 1500, I would say would be a big coffee pot. Hmm. I think the one I have, you know, I think it's like 900 watts. Okay. So that right there, we probably just added an extra hour 
to the use of being able to run that coffee pot. Okay. So the takeaway is like, look at the wattage Correct. of the appliances that you want to add to your thing and get the smallest one that'll do the job for you. There you go. Yep. And then just turn your car on to keep the battery charged. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So that's the, that's the easy thing is just turn the car on. But all right, let's, so let's talk about batteries. There's lithium versus, I don't even know what this is, AGM? Mm-hmm. And that's what we run. What? Okay. So, what's the difference, and why one versus the other? So, you have three majors. Um, you have lead acid, which is like your standard under the hood car battery. Right. Cheap, heavy as all get out. They're cheap, and they last long times. Um, and then you've got AGM, which is more of a deep cycle. It's what you find in your boats. It's what you find in car stereo systems. AGM deep cycle batteries are great because they can actually, they have a higher rate of being able to be taken down to a lower voltage mm. more times. And then you've got the king of all that everyone buzzes about, which is the lithium systems. Um, and so if we start at the bottom of the totem pole, like pros and cons of the, of the different batteries. Um, lead acid batteries, um, they're very unsafe to be inside a vehicle um, because they're full of lead and acid i mean they're they're literally it's what's inside them and so you know if whenever they get hot they literally i mean a lot of them will actually shoot that out of the top of them because mm. they have vent holes is that um, what that like corrosion stuff mm -hmm, is that, on a, you yeah know? okay yeah that's usually what that's coming from is that battery getting too hot at mm. some point in time all right um or age e either one of the two um but lead acid is great because like when it's cold out, a lead acid battery has a ton of cold cranking amps. So it can give a high amount of, of voltage really quick, but it can't do it for very long. Um, but there's a lot of safety issues with lead acid. They don't, they don't have a great ability of being pulled down on voltage numerous times and going back up. So uh, you can recharge a battery so many times. Right. So in, in this, I guess, scenario, let's say a lead acid can recharge 300 times. An AGM battery is going to be able to recharge 500, 550 times. Um, AGM batteries, there's, there's, a, there's quite a few different styles out there. We use um, AGM deep cycle maintenance free. So they are 100% sealed. You don't need to worry about pouring water in the top of them, anything like that. They're perfectly sealed on their own. Um, we use a um, kind of a general purpose, so it it's not a battery that will just give you a ton of juice for a very short period of time. They give you a mo they have the capability of giving you a moderate amount of juice for a long period of time. One of the biggest benefits of AGM versus lead is its ability of going down to like 10.5 volts or lower and you can actually bring them back to life. Hmm. And that is one nice thing about solar, is if you ever get those batteries way down, solar is actually a great thing to actually bring them back up slowly to not damage them. Hmm. And so an AGM battery has a longer life expectancy than kind of any other battery that's utilized in the automotive industry, um, as far as like what you could go get at AutoZone, O'Reilly's, anything like right. that. So if, um, uh, if you go in, like, AGM, like, what does AGM stand for? Uh, glass, uh, it's a um, glass mat. So it's what the actual cells inside are actually made of. Okay. It's what's actually holding the energy inside them. Hmm. So and, if somebody goes in and says, I need, like, a deep cycle marine battery, mm -hmm. it would be probably an AGM. It's going like, to be AGM. Sort of a synonym? Yep. Okay. Yep. okay. And cool. so it's... And, and, and that's where AGMs can, can all be a little bit different. It's kind of like 
uh, you know, lead acid to lead acid. AGMs are our, our, what the nice part about it is, is you can find AGMs that fit more of your need. Like I said, ours is more general purpose. So it's got more power cells within the battery. So it can just give a solid, like kind of like a straight line amount of power for a longer period of time. How do you know that? Like when you're like, if I were to go mm -hmm. in and if I were DIYing it and adding AGM batteries, is there like a number or, or scoring or rating system? So, you know, if it's something that's going to shoot out power quickly or like you guys do like a long and steady. Um, so there, there's a few ways. I mean, you can look at the, the amp hours of a battery itself, mm -hmm. uh, coal cranking amps, which is like your standard, you know, metric of a battery for a car. Because mm -hmm. that says, you know, like diesel vehicles, they need higher coal cranking amps because it's harder to turn them over when it's cold. Um, and, you know, that's a metric that a lot of people use. And then standard rate of charge is a big one too. It's like what state does that v or does that battery regularly set at? A higher state typically means it has a higher ability of giving out more power. Okay. Because higher voltage indirectly means more power at less amps. So for internal use, like what what we're doing mm -hmm. here, just to kind of power the inside stuff, mm -hmm. you could do lower cold cranking amps and lower. That other number you just said <laughs> yeah yeah you can yeah you you, you know you don't want to go crazy low because then it's more of like a um so to be comparable um a diesel big diesel truck is going to have a massive coal cranking battery his coal cranking amps are going to be at like a thousand um the battery that starts your lawnmower is going to be like a hundred <laughs> maybe maybe a hundred um and so that's kind of just the difference but so what are you using? Like, what are these? Uh, these are something around, uh, I think these are about 600 okay. cold cranking amps, which is kind of that general purpose. It's right. not high. It's not low. Um, these could work perfectly to start your vehicle. You're not going to have any issue starting your vehicle off these batteries. Um, but they're not going to be as high as the battery sitting under the seat for the car. Right, okay. Um, but the biggest difference in these two is these will give out 12.5 volts for a longer period of time than this battery will. Okay. And so, and then the kind of the mother of all is lithium. Right. So, um, you know, lithium, lithium is this kind of its own beast. So if you think about it, it's crazy lightweight. Um, it's, it's what our phones run on. It's, it's what everything runs on that needs to be packed around. Um, it's because of that cell structure that's built inside them. I mean, you think about lead acid. I mean, it's, it's full of lead. I mean, it is heavy. Yeah. AGM, glass mat, it's full of glass. It's heavy. Um, you know, lithium, the way it's designed and built, um, they have the ability of packing more power in something that, because um, glass and lead are the, are the pieces of those batteries that actually hold the energy in. Hmm. Lithium is kind of a completely different beast. And so it has the ability of holding much more energy at a lot lower weight. Um, now, with lithium, before we get into the long list of pros, a couple of the cons, and this is why we have been extremely slow to incorporate it in our van builds, is one is cost. It's very expensive to do right. Secondly, when you start talking about lithium, you have to start talking about um, management systems. You have to start talking about computers. Every battery that's lithium should have its own computer system to um, let it know whenever the voltage is too low so it'll cut out. Hmm. Um, you take an AGM, you take lead acid, draw it down to zero amps or zero voltage, sorry, 
and um, nothing's really going to happen. The lead acid, you're just going to damage the battery really bad. And AGM, you're just going to have a heck of a time getting it to charge all the way back quickly. It will happen, but it won't happen for very long. A lithium battery, you let it pull down to, let's say, 2 volts. Um, it is doing some significant damage to that battery. Hmm. Um, and not just that, you have the potential of highly harming the battery to a point of combustion. Um, Samsung phones, I think we all remember when they were lighting everyone's pants on fire. Right. That's exactly what was happening. Their batteries were getting hot because they were getting pulled so down, so far down on voltage that they weren't shutting off, like they weren't shutting out. Hmm. And it was literally just melting down in people's pockets. And an AGM, a lead, they're not going to do that um, on their own. You know, Now, if you're pulling 300 amps of power out of them, like sucking it out of the batteries, they're going to get hot. And you have the, you know, the potential of melting them down. But they're just going to melt. A lithium's going to blow up. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, it's a real thing. I mean, it is, and it's, it's, it's pretty scary to think about. But, you know, the technology is out there to really harness this power. But you got to know what you're doing, and you can't, you know, AGM battery. You can hook it up to an electrical system, and it's going to be fine. A lithium, you better know what you're hooking it up to. Because if it doesn't like what's hooking up to you, you could potentially have a serious problem on your hands. Hmm. You know, and people do it every day. You know, and there's tons of lithium systems out there. And we actually now in 2020 are releasing a lithium system for our live and do models. Um, it's a it's a brand that we've pretty much partnered with um, to go with because they offer the complete system. They offer the inverting. They offer the um, controlling. So the whole system can communicate. Um, with itself right and so but the real the real benefits to lithium is like i keep talking about like that 12.5 volts so all your components love to draw off good clean power that's why our houses run off ac power because you know like you know in the states you don't usually see power dropouts you know you don't see our lights dim real low and, and tvs fry because our power grid stays very clean, you know, stays very consistent, you know. You go to the Middle East, you know, you go to areas of Europe, you know, and, I mean, you'll be sitting there watching TV and all of a sudden power will just go out and come back on. Or lights will dim and kind of kick in and out. Um, you know, that's from just a power grid that isn't consistent. You know, AC power is much more consistent. DC power, you know, everything's based on that 12 5 volts. Everything wants that good, clean power. Lithium batteries like have the ability of staying at that 12.5 for a much long period of time. So you know, if, if let's say we take a lithium battery that's the same amp hour size as an AGM battery, and let's put them side by side and put five amps of draw on both of those batteries, you're gonna watch that lithium battery stay at stay at 12.5 probably twice as long as that AGM battery. Now as that AGM, AGM battery starts to tail off, it's just gonna slowly tail off and then finally get to a point where it won't run the inverter or anything like that anymore and everything just shuts off. Mm -hmm. That lithium battery will hold at that 12.5 much, much longer, but then once it decides to dip, it just drops just out. Just falls off a cliff. Right. right. Um, it's kinda like your, you know, your, your sprinters versus you know, your, in, you know, your, your guys who run long distance. Right. Um, but that's what makes lithium extremely valuable 
is that's what gives it the ability of fully so i talked earlier about the agm batteries you know like we're looking here at 300 amp hours what's usable in there is 260. with lithium that three like let's say it's a 300 amp hour battery bank it's usable is probably truly more like 290. Hmm. because of that state and rate of charge and then the second really huge benefit which kind of circles back to solar a little bit is solar becomes much more valuable when you tie it with lithium because AGM batteries and lead acid batteries only like certain rates of charge so even if your alternator is producing 500 amps of charge your batteries might only be able to accept amongst them you know we've got three here in a daisy chain each battery might be able to take a certain amount of charge of maybe let's just say 50 amps per battery mm -hmm. so 150 total of, of amp charging from the alternator even though it's giving 500 lithium batteries are typically four to five times higher of a charge rate so we pull that back to solar let's say your solar is bringing in 30 amps AGM batteries themselves are only going to probably hold on to, of that 30 amps, it's probably going to hold on to probably 24 to 26 of those amps that's coming in. And the rest is just lost power. Yeah. Lithium is going to hold on to about 99% of it. So the energy that you're getting for those three to four hours is all getting captured whenever it's lithium. When it's AGM, you're not capturing all of it. So the net effect is you need more solar watts right. to get your same amount of charge. Hmm. So, you know, that's why, you know, Tesla, all, all, all these companies, you know, they, they use lithium for, or for a lot of reasons. One of them is, is weight. But I'll tell you, rate of charge and how quickly you can charge a lithium system versus an AGM is where I truly believe the biggest difference is. When you start your vehicle, and you're charging your AGM system, it takes you about two to three hours of drive time to fully charge your AGM system back up if it's completely drawn down. Lithium would do that same amount of recharge in about 20 to 30 minutes. Wow, that's a big difference. Much. Okay, so let's talk, while we're on batteries, let's talk about, I guess, given the amp hours thing, it's not so much a matter of how many batteries do you need, but like how much battery power mm -hmm. Do people need or how do they figure out how much battery power they need is it they just look at the, the amp hours versus what they're going to be running and yeah so i mean we've we've toyed around with you know do customers need 100 amp hours do they need 500 amp hours and we basically boiled it down to you know 300 amp hours for one breaks it down to 300 amp hour batteries um, as in like three 100 amp hour batteries correct okay yep. and so yeah you're so you're totaling you know, you're totaling yourself off at 300 amp hours. And for us, you know, for me looking at it, it's like, okay, first off, footprint. You know, because we're dealing with AGMs. Yeah, they're so, not small. <laughs> right, they're not small. They're heavy. You know, they make 200 amp hour batteries that are AGM, but they weigh north of 150 pounds a piece. <sighs> so, you know, not anyone can just lift them out, you know, and get them replaced. Um, and so, you know, you look at size restraints, you look at how much space you have. And then for, for me, like when I was looking at how many amp hours to put in our vans, it's like 300 amp hours gets you to where you can run pretty much everything you need for a complete day. Um, if you're smart with how you utilize the power, 
uh, you're going to be able to run it for multiple days. Uh, you, you know, and, and, and the thing also, too, is it's like we kind of talked about running your AC for roughly two and a half hours. It's It comes down to a matter of is, is running it for two and a half hours any different than being able to run it for four hours? Or is it two and a half hours kind of it doesn't really matter? Uh, four hours doesn't really matter. It, and it's not going to really matter till you can run it for six to eight. And so now you're to a point kind of back to sides or strain. So it's kind of when you look at how much power you need we look at and i look at 300 amp hours and really 260 usable that's going to run all your components that you need for a complete day of use it's going to get you through a complete night of use it's going to run your s-bar heater while leaving all the lights on it's going to basically give you everything you need to utilize the van itself um minus you know running an ac and that's when you need shore power because the battery bank we would have to put into this vehicle to give you what you need would be so monstrosous, you know, so big. It'd just be to a point where is it necessary. Right. Okay. So let's talk about external power then. I mean, shore power is kind of the easy one. For people who don't know what that is, it means you're plugging into an external mm -hmm. power. Like you go to a campground and you plug your vehicle into the power source that they provide. Right. But there's also, you could do a generator. Uh-huh. Um, what do you guys, what are your recommendations for somebody whether or not they need a generator? Because, and I'm asking because it's not just like, hey, I'll just add a generator. Like, you have to wire it so that that generator can be plugged in. Right. And then cycle that power into your electrical system and all that. Right. So, um, that's one great thing about the way we, we set up our system is, is the shore power we talked about. It's a standard 110 plug-in. It's not a big RV plug. It's 30 amps. You know, it's nothing, there's nothing special about it. Also, when you bring in the shore power, it goes into a transfer switch, which automatically takes care of where that power needs to go without you even needing to worry about touching it. So take that step back to, instead of doing shore power to like a campground plug-in, you take that generator and you take that generator power in through your shore power. Yeah. You do it through the same avenue. Um, and whenever you do that same avenue, what's really nice about that is whenever you're taking, you know, you take that power, a generator is not a standard, you know, streamline efficient power like we talked about with the AC power, like consistent. Um, generators kind of jump up and down. With our inverter charger controller system that we have, it will help regulate that generator towards not giving you those spikes. All right. Um, you know, I would never tell someone to plug their phone directly into a uh, <laughs> generator because it's going to fry it um, because of those voltage increases and decreases. Right, okay. Um, so if somebody's DIYing it and they're bringing the generator in, rather than just running the extension cord off that generator into a outlet strip in here, mm -hmm. probably be better to get some kind of inverter yes. or something just to steady that power Correct. out. Correct. Okay. Yep, yep, and that's that's what our system does for you. You know, and then if we're talking about, you know, being able to run your AC all night, you know, we talked about comparing that AC back to like 1500 watts. If you're wanting to compare, like we offer a portable 3000 watt um, generator, um, you got to be careful with generators because you have max watts, which would be 3000, mm -hmm. and then you have running watts, which is when it's running at, you know, 80% capacity, how much is it generating for you? And so, you know, like ours is max 3000 operates at 2200 and it'll do that through a complete night being able to run your ac all night for you 
Um, and, and I recommend, you know, you know, Hondas, they're not cheap, but they're quiet. Um, right. Generacs are the same way. Generacs are um, extremely quiet, but at a fraction of the cost. That's what I highly recommend to people. Um, Briggs and Stratton is the company that basically makes like all Honda motors. It makes kind of they make basically the motor for everybody. Um, and you know they make one for um, Generac. They make one for Craftsman. Uh, you know Lowe's is now a Craftsman uh, company, yeah. and so you know they or I guess vice versa. And so you know you can get Craftsman little three thousand portables. Um, they're easy to carry. Uh, they're super quiet, and they're going to run off that same. Um, plug that you can use to plug in just a standard um, reciprocal um, into that small generator through your shore power. It's going to give you that same charge to that will expand your um, charging capacity and will be able to charge or utilize that air conditioner for a much longer period of time overnight. Okay, so as a uh, um, general rule of thumb, like let's say your AC unit is fifteen hundred mm-hmm. watts. The running general running power of the generator should be like what percentage more? Like you said, you guys do a twenty two hundred. Mm-hmm. I imagine you don't want to get one that's running at fifteen hundred watts no. and you're maxing right. that generator out. So yeah. you need to bump it by like what, like thirty, forty percent? I would say whatever the rated watts of a generator is should be double of what you're needing. Okay. Which is pretty much kind of in line with what we offer, which is you know gen- uh, the AC is going to pull roughly fifteen uh, hundred. Our generator's rated at 3,000, and that's going to give you basically an idea of that those running watts. So you're not killing your generator. Right. right. Well, okay. and, and that just becomes a part of just like managing your power in your battery bank. Um, it's also going to help manage if the generator can run at a lower idle, uh, run lower down, it's going to run for a longer period of time. At half idle, most of the portables are, will run for maybe f- you know eight hours, nine hours. At full capacity, you might run for four. Hmm, so you okay. want it to also run through the whole night. Right. What's <laughs> and one just last kind of note on that is what's really cool about like an all in all included power system that communicates with all components is let's say that generator did uh, misfire, cut out throughout the night, and you're really worried about running that AC. Like our system, if it loses shore power, it will now convert all of that over to inverted power from the battery bank. Now the the issue with that is you might wake up, <laughs> generate, generator's dead, and you've drained your batteries. Right. But for you know high critical loads, at least if that kicks out, this will keep running until you can get it started again. Right. Which is a really nice feature. Nice. Okay, so let's talk about the inverter. Then I imagine the inverter is a pretty critical part of all that. Mm-hmm. You guys use one that uh, Josh was explaining to me earlier is a three-in-one, mm-hmm. which lets it basically charge or pull from the batteries from any of the sources, alternator, solar, external, whatever, kind of simultaneously. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, you've got that. So it's a three-in-one, so it's a um, charger, it's an inverter, and then it's the transfer switch as well. So the transfer switch is what we're talking about with the shore power. We'll bring the power in, and then it'll either convert it, take that power into the charging side to go back down and charge the batteries back up, or it'll actually bypass the uh, inverter portion of it, I guess you could say. It actually runs it straight to your power distribution to power your outlets. Hmm, that's pretty cool. Okay, uh, let's see. I think one of the questions I had when I was looking at building a van forever ago 
is you know you look at like you go into Ford's website or Mercedes mm-hmm. website and you see all the options. One of them is this upgraded alternator. Mm-hmm. Is that something that people should buy when they're going to add a big electrical system? Like I kind of mentioned about, it, it kind of boils back to what can your batteries take. Just because you get a bigger alternator doesn't mean you're going to get more charge. Hmm. Um, it, it, there means more uh, capability of more charge, but it doesn't mean you're going to get it because your bottleneck is still your battery capacity. Now, if you're you know wanting to start your vehicle and you're wanting to run multiple AC aftermarket AC units, then I would say yes because your use at that given point in time is going to be much greater, much higher. Um, but if you're talking about using your alternator system, your car, to only charge batteries, um, it really reflects on what batteries you're using. Like if you're going to have two or three lithium batteries in here stacked up, I would say, yeah, you would get the benefit out of having a bigger or second alternator. Like Ford offers an actual second alternator hmm. they'll put on the on the engine block. Um, and you know, for us, because we work directly with Ford and things that I'm currently working on, um, we do it because of um, power sharing reasons, but that's not something a DIYer would have access to. Um, but that is a benefit of you know, like utilizing us for the power needs, just because um, I can do more things like power sharing, things like that with the chassis itself, where actually I can get more out of that. Um, because something most people don't know is that just because that alternator is there turning. Um, if you just plug it straight into secondary batteries, that alternator doesn't produce its its high. Like let's say an alternator is a 300 amp alternator, it doesn't it doesn't create that much power at idle. It takes that engine to spool up to create that higher amperage. Mm-hmm. If you just plug it into secondary batteries, and let's say these batteries need charged, there's nothing in the system that's telling the motor to turn up. That's something that we actually have the capabilities of doing. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, it's like when you have your big RV and you kick it on, like a big professional RV, you'll hear it idle up, up real high every once in a while. And it's because your house system, your secondary battery bank is telling it, hey, turn up because I need more power from you. Interesting. Okay. All right. So let's talk uh, about plugging things in inside. There's, you know, there's a difference between how efficient DC is versus AC. Mm-hmm. So like, let's say I just want to charge my phone or my laptop or something should i plug it into a little cigarette lighter type usb port or should i use a wall wart and plug it into one of the 110 household style things like which is going to be the best use of the available power that's sitting in the batteries if i'm off grid um i would plug it straight into dc so like a usb port okay like a cigarette lighter style correct yep and the reason for that is because if you think about it to get your ac power you're having to actually take energy to invert it to the AC power just to take it back down. Okay. So you're kind of creating a step in there that's going to burn additional energy that you don't need to. All right. So anything I can plug into a car cigarette lighter style thing, I should. Yes. Okay. Yep. All right. Let's see. Um, got a list of questions here. I'm trying to find the ones we haven't already asked because I did not put them in any sort of order. Uh, this is one Josh recommended I ask you because... Um, you know, you can get a dorm fridge super cheap at mm-hmm. like any hardware store, but you're sitting on a much more expensive, well, I don't know, they may not crazy expensive, but Dometic, mm-hmm. which makes like actual car and boat style mm-hmm. fridges. Um, why would you opt for a more expensive 
refrigerator or cooler unit that's made for a car versus just some cheapo I can grab at the hardware store? Um, if, at the end of the day, it doesn't really have to do with the power draw. So like if we're saying one's way more efficient than the other, as far as just draw itself, I wouldn't say that's the biggest difference um, for the use of a vehicle. Now, like the Dometics, what's awesome about them is they'll come with two power cords. One, you can plug straight into DC, like a cigarette outlet, or as a second power cord that you can plug into like a, eight, like a 110. Um, so you can take it, put it in your garage, plug it in, or throw it in the back of your vehicle, throw it in your van, plug it in, and it works both ways. Cool. Um, so that's a massive pro to like, but that's that's more of a feature. Um, what I would tell you is is your dorm room fridge, if if you took it and you threw it in a high humidity environment, it's going to create condensation and it's just going to really is going to be another one of those things we talked about in a previous um, podcast, which is a matter of um, you know moisture in a vehicle. You want to limit it. Uh, you know, you throw something in like a loaf of bread in a in a fridge, like a dorm room fridge, and you have the air that's around it inside a vehicle, it's going to create mold. It's going to create those different things because it doesn't know how to operate and it doesn't really know how to... Um, ACs are ran off of compressors and it doesn't really know how to operate in temperatures like this. And so um, second to that too is, is power draws are very similar in them but like the Dometics, for instance, or the ARBs or any of the other brands you see, um, they are just much more insulated to where they don't have to run as much. Hmm. So your dorm room one is, has a little bit of foam on the door. It's got right. a little bit of foam on the sides, and that's about it. It's not really meant to be in a car that might hit 110, 120 degrees in exactly. the summer. Exactly. Right. And these guys are built, you know, the Dometics, the ARBs of the world, they're built to have direct sunlight on them, and it won't affect you know, their actual working capacity. Okay. If you took a dorm room fridge, set it outside in the sunlight, <laughs> it might melt down. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cool. Okay. So the one thing, I guess you guys get this. And of course, like I know in my big class ARV, we've got a ridiculously big microwave. Mm-hmm. Can microwaves draw a lot of power? Can you plug a microwave in here or is it just going to fry the system? You can. It's so, um, two notes there one is 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 because of how our inverting system works if you plug something in, it's going to draw too hard it's going to shut itself down okay so it's protected so if if you're if you just get your van and you think you put uh, 1100 watt microwave in yeah 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 you're going to be good remind you like the inverter it's a 2000 watt inverter so it's going to take it's going to take all that it can um and if it if it's too much it's just going to shut down um, it's going to protect the wiring. It's going to protect all those things that we put a lot of time into. Um, but it, it, it goes along the lines like the conversation we had about the coffee pot. It's just get the smallest one that works for you. Right. Um, and, and just be cognizant of how much power they're going to pull. What are some of the things that people put in these that draw the most power? Like they just crush batteries super fast. I mean, I would say microwaves, uh, hot plates, right? Um, microwaves, hot plates, uh, trying to run the air conditioner. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, and then, I mean, coffee pots kind of like the ones we right. talked about. <laughs> okay. And then, so this system, like, I don't really see a fuse panel. How do you, do you use circuit breakers or like just fuses? And if so, is it a special kind of fuse? Like what's the, What's the protective mechanism in all of this? 
everything that actually takes a physical fuse is on the back side of the box you're not seeing, which is easily accessible. Um, it's a, just a standard, as far as like the DC power goes, it's just a standard blade fuse like you get at O'Reilly's that you get for your vehicle mm -hmm. um, or an AutoZone or any place like that. Uh, you know, that is, that's very standard um, in the back. Now, one thing that um, is kind of pri proprietary to us is our switching. So most switching systems, like you see one above the driver's seat, you see one at the middle, and you see one at the, in the, at the back of the van. You, like at the front here, we've got five switches um, that are all backlit. They turn on and off. To make that work with a standard electrical setup, you would have to run four wires to each one of those switches. Um, so that would be 20 wires just to run Because I can turn the light on in the front, walk to the um, back, hit the same button, and it'll turn it off, and right. it's all interconnected. So you'd have right. to interconnect all those like you would your house with three-way switches and all that kind of stuff. Us, it's all data. So it's all CAN-driven. So that switch brick only has four wires running to oh, it. Oh, wow. And so these switches can indirectly communicate with each other, hmm. um, which internally communicates with our electrical system. So everything that is fused, like on the fuse brick, is like a normal fuse. But we do actually fuse our vehicle, um, if it's below 10 amps, digitally. So we actually have a controller that actually digitally fuses like things like our dome lights. And what's really cool about that feature is it's actually a computer back there has a flashing light on it to where if a, if a customer of ours is off on the road, something like that, or, or, or where campsite, and like their dome lights, for instance, start flickering and does something weird, that status light's going to tell me what's going on. That's pretty cool. And not to like make this commercial for you guys, but like from a... DIY standpoint, like electrical is the thing that scares me the most because I used to like wire my car stereos and everything right. and like car stereos are pretty simple. This is definitely not simple. Mm -hmm. And like one time I did actually like, I was putting a panel back in and the screw like grazed the covering, the insulation uh -huh. on a positive and as, as soon as it hit the metal, dude, it just like fried the wire all the way up until the, the fuse that I had run in line, thankfully, and it shocked the living daylights out of me. <laughs> but like, this is so much more advanced. And I just think anybody trying to DIY something that they're going to live in is like starting with the electrical package you guys mm -hmm. have is probably a pretty smart move. Um, but anyway, mm -hmm. well, I uh, appreciate that. It's the one thing that I always <laughs> tell everyone who, who come to us, you know, go try to do their own thing. Most of them end up coming back to us <laughs> uh, when they halfway get down with their bill and they realize electrical, electrical is the one thing that I hear holds everyone up. Right. And, and I get it. Uh, we've spent most of our R&D cost on electrical. And that's where I put my main focus, which is we're not going to build vans unless we get the electrical right. And, um, you know, there's still things we have to learn. You know, there's still technologies we can still incorporate to make it better. Um, but when you start mixing uh, AC power, which is like your outlets, things like that, you start mixing it with DC, um, it gets real real quick. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing, we talked about this and something else, and I would encourage everybody to watch the factory tour video and, and story that we put on Bike Rumor as well, because it, it really shows like how they build these out, and it's super cool. The, um, you know, Especially the color coding of the wires, I think is awesome. But what I think a lot of people don't realize, too, is when you... Um, you know, if you go buy cheap wire, mm -hmm. it's not always copper, no. right? No, And so if, if you mix non-copper wire what is it aluminum what do they use it's, it's, a, it's a mixture it's aluminum it's just, copper it's zinc plated it's 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 
just a mix of just the cheapest metals that can like can conduct electricity yeah but not very efficiently i don't no. think not nearly as well as copper right um you know and so when you mix those sometimes you end up with uh corrosion issues and maybe like you probably know like does it change the impotence and really just like mess it, with everything it does i mean the one thing that and and it took i didn't know this for a, a while um and then finally actually one of the engineers for ford explained this to me um, about how corrosion doesn't typically always happen because of you know sh grounding out or things like that. It typically happens because you take two different types of wires and you connect them together, and you have one wire that can conduct you know electricity much better than the other, and it creates this hot point, hmm. which anytime you make something hot, it's going to corrode. You know that's typically why corrosion happens. I didn't um, even know that. <laughs> yeah, and so it's, uh, you know, it's for a lot of, you know, corrosion happens in a lot of ways. Salt water, water, it, it happens in a lot of ways. But wires can actually corrode themselves. And, you know, nothing's 100% copper anymore. It's just not. It's, it's the matter of making sure all of your blends that you're using in a build is consistent. Um, you know, cheap wire, you know, you buy off Amazon, buy off anywhere. You're like, if you can buy a roll of 500 feet of wire for 30 bucks. Right. And it's silver. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be a silver little, colored. I should say, not yeah, silver. Yeah, silver I'd be, colored. I'd be, I'd be cautious of it. You know, once again, it does depend on what you're using it for. I mean, if you're using it for super low voltage, you know, LEDs or something like that, probably not a problem. Um, but when you start mixing it with other things, it can become a problem. When you use it for higher amperages, it really becomes a problem. And so it's just, it's understanding what you're working with. Right. Awesome. Well, this has run super long, and I think we've probably lost some people with the super geekiness of it, but I thought it was fascinating. I really appreciate your time. And, uh, yeah, if you haven't caught the other two episodes, be sure to hit subscribe on whatever podcast player you're using and leave us a rating and review, and thank you so much for your time. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for tuning in. If you want to check out the Banduit factory tour with the video and photos and everything to show how they go from passenger van all the way to a fully equipped, adventure-ready off-road camper van vehicle, then go to bikerumor.com and just search the word Banduit. That's one word, V-A-N-D-O-I-T, and you'll find it. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. That really helps us grow this thing and get better and better guests for you. Thanks a lot, and we'll catch you next time.